Amiga, the first personal computer that gives you a creative edge. Amigos, the podcast about everything Amiga. Amigos is a proud member of the Throwback Network, your home for quality retro podcasts. And now, here are your hosts, Aaron Dowdy and John Bodokar Schaller. Joining me in this first Amigos interview is Rob Flack O'Hara. I first got to know Rob over 10 years ago on the Retro Gaming Roundtable forums, and I've kept up with him over the years by listening to his podcasts. Uh, Rob is the host of a few retro-themed podcasts like You Don't Know Flack and Sprite Castle, which is a C64 podcast, and he's also the founder of the Throwback Network, which is an affiliation of retro-themed podcasts that Amigos is part of. Rob, hello, and thanks for coming on Amigos. Hello, how are you doing? I think you you misspoke. You said 10 years. Has it been that long? It's been longer than 10 years. Oh my gosh. <laughs> I feel so. Every day I find something that makes me feel a little older. And it, so you you just did that for me today. Thank you. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, I, I, I think back to, you know, when I first started posting on, on uh, Digital Press, it was 2004. So, and I know you were already there at that time. So, yeah, I, I think I got on maybe. Uh, Gosh, just maybe a year before that. I hadn't been on there very long. I had um, uh, was looking for – someone told me that there were retro game conventions, and I had never heard of such a thing. I thought that I lived on this island, that I was the only guy in the world that had a Commodore 64 still hooked up, <laughs> uh, that had all these old video games and stuff. And I and so I searched Google, and I found some posts from uh, Phosphor.Fossils, mm-hmm. our, our friend Earl Green, and uh, they were on Digital Press, and it was about the Oklahoma Video Game Expo that was taking place that year. So that was kind of how I found Digital Press and found all these people that, uh, like you said, 10, 11, 12 years ago, we're all we're all still talking. We're all still nerdy. Yeah, that was actually the first. And I actually, you know what? Thinking back, I went to Classic Gaming Expo 2K3, so I was already a member by then. So it must have been 2001 or 2002. Was it drink when we were still? Were you still? Were you on the roundtable when we were still on Easy Board? No, I think I came on right after they had switched uh, forum software. Okay, yeah, I was right there at the tail end too. So we probably got on about the same time. Um, but I, I, I posted on the Usenet forums, you know, classic gaming forums. But I'd never found a place that was kind of all-encompassing classic gaming that was just so awesome. You know, it was a great community back then. Yeah, I always have people. People would ask me, you know, when did you get into the retro hobby? And I never had a good answer for that because I never got out of it. Mm-hmm. You know, like a lot of the like the Atari cartridges that I have are the ones I owned when I was five years old. You know what I mean? So it wasn't like I just woke up one day feeling nostalgic. It was like I didn't get rid of a lot of <laughs> yeah the things I had. You know, and so um, it, it's funny how you could be such a, a big fish in a small pond you know I was, I was just talking to someone about this about uh collecting star wars stuff you know i have a, a pretty sizable collection of star wars uh toys and and all kinds of things uh and you know i was the biggest star wars collector that all my friends knew you know like everybody on, at school everybody on the bus even now like at work i'm the star wars guy sure and then and then you go on the internet, you know, and I find these people that, uh, uh, you know, like I, I'll say, oh, I have the the rare uh, Luke with a, you know, certain helmet, like the helmet, you know, and then somebody will say, yeah, my buddy has, you know, an actual helmet that they used in the film. 
<laughs> and all of a sudden, wow. it's not quite as cool what you have anymore. You know, it, yeah, it definitely changes. You know, that when you get on the internet, that size of that uh, yeah. goldfish bowl changes. You know, so I was always the guy that had all the the video game systems, all the you know the most games, the most cartridges, the the biggest software collection, all those things. And then you go on digital press. They used to have the uh, Room of Doom. I'm sure you remember oh, yeah. that yeah. Uh, section. I think it started in uh, in the magazine, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, uh, in the zine. Right, and then it had moved to uh, the website. But it was uh, they they featured someone's game room, and I start looking through these, and I'm like, holy crap! I'm a small fish again. <laughs> you know what I mean? <laughs> right. And you know that was also about the same time. When, you know, the shift from going to thrift stores, going, you know, shifted over to, you know, people really getting into eBay and spending lots and lots of money on eBay just trying to acquire everything. And I have, um, I have lamented that so much. And I'm sure like our parents, like you hear these stories and they say, you know, unless you were there in the 50s, you'll just never understand, you know, that Mm -hmm. sort of thing. And unless you were into retro video games, retro computers, during that era, I don't think you'll ever understand that little time frame where I used to go during my lunch break. There's a thrift store right down the street, and I would buy, I probably bought four or five Atari 2600 consoles, and I would leave the prices on them because they you know, they would write like in that little grease mm-hmm. pencil. Yep, yep, they, yep. I've still got the stuff marked yep. with that same pencil. And they say, you know, I have a uh, my, my 1541... Commodore disk drive that I use today has the price right on the top. It says a dollar ninety eight, <laughs> and I would go down there and there would be. I bought an Apple computer. I bought Commodore stuff. Uh, you know, just all kinds of things. I went one time and there was a like a hefty trash bag full of floppy disks mm. for three bucks, and wow. I was like, oh, I'll take. You know, and that was like you know a week's worth of entertainment. Going yeah, that is <laughs> unbelievable. <laughs> I also think it's it's quite funny that they chose to present that collection of discs just by dumping everything into a hefty bag. Right. I look like like the ghetto Santa Claus walking out. I have this clear bag over my shoulder full of, you know, used discs. Um, But, uh, you know, it was like they flipped a switch. You know, it went Mm -hmm. to eBay, and now, of course, you know, with Craigslist and, and, uh, you know, people, all of a sudden, everybody thought they were going to get rich. Right. And it really thought. is it's it really is a double edged sword because the the great thing about eBay is if you want one specific thing you can get it immediately. Sure, absolutely. But at the same time, the days of walking into a thrift store and just you know you never never knowing what you'll get, but whatever you do get, you're going to get for cheap. Those days are gone. Right. Yeah. There there was no rarity guide you know per se back then. It wasn't this. You know what was rare was the games I didn't have mm-hmm. when I was growing up. Like I thought Pitfall Two was really rare right. because you I had never saw one. Yeah. yeah. You know, and then you would go, you know, to a store and you found that for a buck or two bucks and, and you felt like you had this, this great score, you know, and, and now you go online and, you know, Oh, well, let me, let me look at my price guide. Let me see what that's worth. Mm-hmm. Let, you know, it's not, what's it worth to you or, or whatever. Yeah. It really did. Um, it turned it into a business. Yeah. Yeah. And, uh, you know, speaking of it being a business, it did turn into a business literally for the, the founder of Digital Press, who uh, who has that game shop now up in Jersey. Yeah, and um, and the museum. You know, the museum is uh, uh, the video game. Uh, I guess that got started with a Kickstarter. They got some money through there. And uh, so the national, I think it's just called the National Video Game Museum. I'm not sure what the official name is, but it's down. Uh, when it opens, it's just outside of Dallas, which is like a uh, three-and-a-half-hour drive for me. So uh, 
Uh, I've been seeing pictures slowly show up on Facebook. I want to go check it out, you know, when it when it becomes open, just because, uh, you know, from knowing those guys for so long. Oh, yeah. But, now, actually, you know a lot more about this than I do. So is Joe actually going to close the store in Jersey and move all his operations down there? No, he um, he has moved down to Texas, but uh, someone is still running the store in New Jersey. So. Okay. Uh, I've been to the store. I went to the store one time. I don't know if you've ever been up there. I've been there. I've been there once. Luckily, it was one of the times that they were not robbed because that apparently <laughs> happens all the time. <laughs> yeah, I um, uh, I was on a, a work trip somewhere nearby, and I and I drove out there and uh, got to see the whole, uh, you know, the basement mm-hmm. where like all the cool stuff was right. and roam around. And and I don't, you know, what I, I bought was a. Um, this is the dumbest thing. It's so overwhelming when you walk into a place like you know when you go to a garage sale and you find like two or three things it's easy to pick one mm-hmm. or buy all three you right, know right. <laughs> i mean if it's cheap you walk into a vintage video game store that has 10,000 games and it's just overwhelming so i stood there and i ended up buying a mario hat that's what, <laughs> <laughs> that's what you walked away out of all those games and all those anything you could have got that's what Yep. I, I came really close to buying a Vectrix when I was there, Ooh, um, yeah. but I, I just didn't pull the trigger. At the time I, I went up there, I wasn't in the best shape financially, and I couldn't justify it to myself, you know, but it was a wonderful experience. You know, the store was just, it was fantastic, and before then, I would go up, and I actually went up to one of the, uh, I think they were called Navas, um, and uh, they actually used to meet at Joe's house before he had the store. And I went up there, and it basically, Joe's basement looked like the store. <laughs> and uh, so it was neat to see him move all that stuff out and uh, into a uh, retail atmosphere. But Yeah, those are fun because, uh, and I've never been to one of those specifically, those NAVA meetings, mm-hmm. but those types of gatherings are fun because uh, I find, especially the older I get and the more people I interact with, I find that, Everybody is an expert behind the keyboard. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Like you ask somebody, uh, you know, oh, well, this game came out in 1985, and then you get 10, you know, I'll get emails all the time from my podcast. Well, actually, it was 1984, <laughs> but it was, uh, you know, December 31st, and it was only 9.30 p.m., so, right, right. you know, that sort of thing. But then when you get in a room uh, with those people, and you can instantly see the people that have put in the time that have that knowledge mm-hmm. uh, and the expertise, and then the people that don't. And not, you know, I'm not slamming anybody that's not an expert on on anything like that. But I just find that a lot of people will, you know, run to their uh, phone or their computer or whatever to go digging for facts. And it's always interesting to me to see those people that, uh, and a lot of them were because they were alive during that time. You know, right. they grew right. up like, like um, you know, I'll, I'll hear these uh, podcast where someone will say, well, I don't remember if that came out for the Intellivision or not. But like when I was a kid, I remember, no, it didn't. That's why I stuck with the Atari because it wasn't available, you know? So mm-hmm. when you have that connection to those systems, uh, you, you know, you have those memories. You can place it in context, yeah. Yeah, absolutely, yeah. And I, I think that's why um, so much of this stuff, like, uh, you know, I, I'm, I have all the, the old computers and stuff like that, but the Commodore is the one that I... I had, you know, for the longest time span, I have the most memories with. So even the same game, if it's available on multiple systems, I'll probably gravitate to that, uh, the Commodore version. Would you like to comment on this week's episode? Did John and Aaron finally make their first mistake? Leave us a comment at our blog at amigospodcast.com. Well, 
Uh, unfortunately, even though the C64 is your favorite, uh, I'm, I'm, I'm here to talk to you about one of your other favorite systems, I hope, the Amiga. Um, so, uh, what was your, what was your first exposure to the Amiga? Well, uh, I will, I will take you back to this story and this takes place, uh, 1985 through 1986. Uh, that was kind of the time where home computers were really taking off, you know, in, in, uh, the early 80s, you had the Apple IIs, uh, you had the PC Junior come out. And so, and it was always like these people that, um, uh, you know, it wasn't like normal families didn't have computers. It was like a computer type person mm-hmm. yeah. <laughs> had a personal computer, you know. But, but right in those mid 80s, things really kind of uh, started taking off where it wasn't just, wasn't just rich people or it wasn't people, you know, a lot of people I knew uh, were friends of my dad who they, they used a, an IBM at work. So they wanted to get a PC at home so they could continue, you know, doing that. So you had to have a reason to justify it. It wasn't really just, you know, because you wanted a computer for no reason. You know, it was a lot of money back then. Yeah. Uh, and so my parents saw this developing. And so they opened a computer store, a local computer store called uh, Yukon Software. I live in Yukon, Oklahoma. And so Yukon uh, Software was exactly like it sounds. It was a computer software store. Uh, and it did not cater to the Amiga. It was uh, <laughs> uh, a PC, Apple II, and Commodore. So we had three big shelves, you know. Uh, and my dad likes to, you know, whenever I, I ask him, you know, what happened to the business? Like, why did it fail <laughs> within a year? Uh, and he says, you know, when he started that, there wasn't anywhere to buy blank discs in Yukon. Uh, and a year later, you could get blank discs and games and everything else at Walmart and Target. And those places, you know, saw that need as well. It was so he acted a little bit sooner than they did. Um, but financially, he could not uh, match their finances. Mm-hmm. You know, yeah. uh, he used to uh, tell me there was a game. I think it was alternate reality. Uh, and he showed me this game uh, and he paid thirty five dollars for it from this magazine, like a resale, you know, Mm -hmm. uh, uh, type magazine. So he would pay it for, uh, uh, $35 and the manufacturer retail selling price was $40. So he'd make $5 profit. And then we went over to Walmart and they had it for 32. So they were selling it cheaper than he could buy it. Right. Yeah. You know? Yeah. And you can't compete with that. It's impossible. No, No. Right. You know, we, we did the same thing where, uh, he was buying floppy disks, for uh, about, I think, 80 cents each, something like that. And then he was selling for a dollar each, you know, so you're making 20 cents. So not a lot of margin there. No, and then Walmart, you know, started, you know, selling them for five bucks for 10. So he would go to Walmart, buy them, and then he would put, like, shareware and free public domain <laughs> software on it uh-huh. and sell them for a dollar each, you know. So it, it just wasn't sustainable, you know. So yeah. anyway, uh, the business closed, and we had all this inventory left and, and nowhere to sell it and nothing to do. So... Uh, you know, they used to have these computer, you know, like kind of like a smaller version of a, of a, oh, I don't know what you call it, like a gathering of computer enthusiasts. People would sell stuff. People would have tables. Mm-hmm. Kind of like uh, a little convention slash trade show slash. Yeah, yeah. I guess trade show is probably a good good term for mm-hmm. it, you know. And so um, so we went to a couple of these, and, and my mom, you know, we had all this software that, had price tags on it, $35, $40, and there would be new, like, garage sale stickers that would say $5. Oh, you know, I mean, yeah, they were just... literally just trying to to get out, you know, get rid of the inventory and stuff. And so we we went to one of these one time, 
and uh, my mom was working this table and I was supposed to, you know, kind of sit there and help her. And right next to us were the local Amiga computer users group. And so I had never seen an Amiga in person before. I, I subscribed to a couple different Commodore magazines, so I had seen, you know, pictures. Uh, I think everybody had seen, uh, you know, the Amiga juggler, like, you know, stills from it, you know. Mm-hmm. But uh, uh, to see Amigas set up on that table and see that, and it was absolutely mind-blowing, uh, the graphics and the sound at that time. Now, um, I I was a Commodore guy because the Commodore 64 was so much better than all the other competition. You know, uh, PCs at the time had, you know, four colors. My dad, he used to always joke, he would say, you know, uh, the PC does four colors as long as two of them are black and white, you know? (laughs) (laughs) So so they weren't really known for uh, their color quality. And and the early Apple that we had, we just had a monochrome monitor. You know, later on we had the, uh, I think it would do six colors in the high-res uh, you know, so the Commodore 64 was above and beyond everything else, and of course, you know the the sound was so much better. Sure. And yeah. then, and then all of a sudden, I'm I'm looking at this Amiga, and they're running demos on it. They're running, you know, um, they're playing mod files in stereo, uh, and, and I was just amazed. Uh, they were showing this game called Mindwalker. I don't know if you've ever seen it, but. Um, it was kind of a, a pseudo 3D looking thing. I mean, if I had to describe it, I would say it was looks similar, I guess, to Crystal Castles, like that kind of. Isometric. It wasn't really, well, not really, but 3D, like almost like clacks. Okay. Okay. You know, like that 3D kind of thing, and you were a guy, a little wizard, and you moved around, and and you and there was this lightning effect where you would attack things, and lightning would go off and stuff, and it was just incredible looking, you know, and and uh, just just so far above anything that I had seen on any of the 8-bit machines, you know. Um, uh, so I watched that for a while, and they had Marble Madness, which, um, again, the Commodore 64, I wouldn't say was arcade quality, uh, per se, but it was better than everybody else, mm-hmm. you know. <laughs> like, you, you would say, you know, yeah, it's not as good as the arcade, but it was better than the Apple guys, like that sort right. of thing, you know. Right. Uh, and then seeing it on the Amiga, at least through my eyes at the time, I was like, this looks just like the arcade game. Like, it was just indiscernible. Oh, yeah. You know, and, from... you know we just did that on the Amigos. That was on the, mm-hmm. uh, I think, episode two. And uh, really, aside from very, very small differences, it is arcade, you know, arcade quality. It was very impressive, especially for a game. I think Marvel Madness came out in, like you said, 85 or 80. It was a very early Amiga title. Mm-hmm. And, and um, you know, the sound and the little... The little touches, like to the animation and things like that, you know, that that really, uh, it really sold me. And I wanted an Amiga so bad, but uh, I, I didn't have the money for one at the time, you know. And um, now, take uh, us back to the, the prices in nineteen, you know, the, the mid eighties. What was a Commodore selling for at that time? Well, um, you know, when the Commodore launched, um, I believe it launched at five ninety nine. That would have been like what eighty two, okay. And then the next year it was like two ninety nine. I mean, it dropped like in half right mm. off the bat. Uh, and then the prices continued to drop as more people moved uh, to the PC. You know, uh, um, the goal of Commodore was always to get the Commodore into as many people's uh, households as they could. Mm-hmm. You know, um, so 
And, and so, I mean, I remember for a long time it being, you know, like 199, 149, like that kind of price range, but you could always find them used for like a hundred bucks. I think mine, uh, was, uh, I actually got mine free because the sound chip, uh, the SID chip had burned up. And so, uh, we got it free and the person said, you know, if you, repair it you could have it you know that sort of thing so as more people ibm kind of came off with the uh i guess they they had the the persona like they were the more business-like mm-hmm. computer and so uh, as business you know people bought you know they had all these commercials if <laughs> you've ever seen these goofy commercials of guys on the commodore they're like I'm running my business. Like you're doing a spreadsheet in 40 columns. <laughs> <laughs> Something that nobody would ever do in a million years in actual real life. Yeah. Right, you know, they're like, I'm, run- I'm doing my taxes, you know, and if you've ever tried to do productivity stuff on Commodore 64, uh, my friend, uh, his mother bought this software that was like to manage your bowling league. Uh, and it was, it was horrible, you know? And so you put all your, the players like for each team and scores and after you do so it would just crash it would oh throw gosh. you out of the basic you know? <laughs> <laughs> just say error you know and um uh so yeah it definitely wasn't uh you know a productivity type machine but uh you know the pc was obviously did that and so when people were like oh yeah i can't really you know do a newsletter i can't do these things i want to do uh, and they upgraded then the commodore it always had that um and, and I, I i need to be sure that I say Commodore 64 because when I say Commodore, that's usually what I'm referring to, and and uh, I forget that I'm on a, a, an Amiga show, so <laughs> I need to to be sure to differentiate that. But but yeah, they they were almost seen like toys, mm-hmm. you know, and so you you could get them uh, pretty inexpensively. Yeah, I, I think you know the, the lower price point combined with the the vast amount of games that were available for the system, um, you know, it's it's easy to see how it developed that reputation. Yeah, you could go um, Toys R Us. Had a, a Commodore area, you know, along with all the other video games. You could go buy Commodore games and stuff like that. Now, I had a friend who, uh, his name is Justin, and he got, I mean, he worked at McDonald's, and he, you know, he was always uh, saving his money and buying all this stuff. And so he actually bought an Amiga 500. No, nah, no, I'm going to take that back. He bought an Amiga 1000. Uh, this is before the uh, 500 was out. And... I remember I went over to his house. So this would have been, gosh, 87, 88, somewhere around there. Uh, And he showed me uh, there was a shareware version of Asteroids. uh, But the Asteroids had been pre-rendered to where they almost looked like they were 3D. Oh, they kind of tumble or something like that. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it looked like, like in my mind, it looked like Blasteroids, Mm -hmm. if you've ever seen that. Uh, But this was just some shareware game, you know, and you use the mouse, which I wasn't used to to playing games with a mouse at that point. That was kind of new. Mm-hmm. But I remember seeing that and thinking, you know, this is incredible. <laughs> I mean, this is the future, you know, and he had this huge stack of, uh, you know, three and a half inch discs where he had downloaded pictures. And so he was like, hey, watch this, you know, and he puts this disc in. Um, and you know, he clicks on a file and, and oh, oh, you know, the, mm-hmm. <laughs> the drives go back and forth and you wait, I don't know, 15, 20 seconds. And then finally this picture of a, you know, a Lamborghini comes up and we were like, <laughs> that is awesome. And it's not, a, not a real picture, you know, it's a drawing mm-hmm. and someone has done this artwork, you know, it's uh, really hard to, for people that didn't grow up at that time, you know, to, to 
to to to know how cool that a picture like that would look coming off a computer when all you had seen up to that point was either CGA graphics on a PC or you <laughs> right. know something on a Commodore or an Atari eight bit something like that. Right. We we actually dialed up. You know, he he was like, well, let's call this BBS and we call this BBS and we go to the picture file area. And you go there, and there's all these file names, you know, Ice Cream Cone, (laughs) (laughs) Mount Rushmore, you know, all these things. that It was like, oh, this Ice Cream Cone sounds cool. And so we download it, and you wait five minutes, you know, (laughs) and it's saving to the disk. And then, you know, finally it's all done, and you log off, and then you double-click, and then a picture of an Ice Cream Cone, you're like, that's awesome, too. (laughs) These are all awesome. And he had downloaded discs and we would spend all this time just looking at dumb pictures that people had drawn you know which you know like you said now uh you know i go into an ice cream place and i take a picture with my phone and then i click you know send that to facebook and and it's not a drawing (laughs) it's like like a real picture of an ice cream right (laughs) Um, but it just seems so amazing you know that the graphic quality are you enjoying the amigos podcast if so please take a moment to write us a review on iTunes. iTunes is how most people discover podcasts, and by writing a review, you'll help us get to the top of the retro gaming and computing section. Thanks! It was just this weird time where um, my buddy had... Was the hold and modify mode, are you familiar with that? Did that have like 4,096 colors, right. I think? that was uh, that special graphics mode that only the Amiga had. And it would flicker, you know, so he had this thing that hung on his monitor. It was like a, I don't know, like a thing of tint or something. I don't know. <laughs> but he, so it was like, oh, if you put this on, it'll flicker less, you know. Uh, and you would download these pictures. And, and so, I don't know, it just seemed... Like that was the future. Like I was like, someday I'll be telling my kids about this that we, you know, saw this great picture of a tiger or something. I don't know. It just, it just seems so um, uh, far advanced from everything else, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, and and he, uh, this is a funny story. He, uh, I went over to his house one time. My my wife, we were we were dating at the time, and he had just got pinball fantasies. I know you guys just talked about uh, pinball games. Mm-hmm. Uh, on the podcast recently, and um, it wasn't that first-person pinball game. Oh, well, that's good. That's a very good thing. <laughs> right. And so um, uh, we had been playing it off and on a couple times, and I, I'm just going to make up the numbers, but, you know, whatever it was, our, our scores were comparable. You know, he would get 3 million, I would get 3 million and 1, you know, that sort of thing. Like, we were going back and forth, but we were really close uh, in, in our scores. And so uh, I don't know what happened, but we were playing this game and uh, I did something and all of a sudden the bonus started going off and things are flashing and my score is just going up by the millions. I mean, it goes, you know, three million, four, five, ten. I mean, it's going through the roof and we've never seen anything like this. And I start laughing uncontrollably, you know, and I'm laughing so hard that I almost like I'm falling out of the chair, you know, Uh, and I guess I've never had this happen, but I think I started to faint because (laughs) really I I was laughing so hard that I was like, I could like, you get that tunnel vision, Uh you know? And, and I was like, I was like, I feel myself going out. And so my friend was like, 
trying to reach the keyboard to keep the game going, but I thought he was trying to mess me up, like trying to <laughs> like sabotage the game. So as I, I'm like falling out of the chair, like no, like it's all slow motion, and I'm hitting his hands, you know, and and uh, I, the high score was like 40 million after that or something. Like I don't even know what happened, but um, it was like just one of those weird. Um, glitch in the matrix you know <laughs> type games or whatever but but yeah he was he was my amiga buddy you know so he would get whatever was new uh and and i just i remember he got dragon's lair when that came out and now if you go back and play it now i mean it's not great you know what i mean there's a lot of disc loading and disc swapping and stuff like that but compared to what was on any 8-bit system oh, or, you know, the, yeah. the Commodore 64 version that, that NES one, which is, you know, just uh, not constantly... even the same game at all. Yeah. Right. Yeah. They had to, to make something that would work uh, on that architecture. And so to see it, you know, it, it just really was uh, light years ahead of anything else. Now, when did you actually get your own Amiga? Not for a long time. Uh, in fact, I, uh, I don't know if you remember um, Brad Prillwitz. Uh, he was on Digital Press, and he passed away. Uh, boy, you'd ask me that. I'd have to look it up. No problem. Um, I think it might have been Brad something. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> um, but, uh, yeah, he passed away uh, a few years ago. Uh, he was actually, uh, I think a drunk driver hit him head oh, on. Oh, my gosh. Yeah, but um, uh, he is from Oklahoma. And we had met up at one of the Oklahoma video game expos and we were talking shop and he was just a super nice guy. Just one of those really nice guys. Um, and he had an Amiga 500 and he said, I have the computer. I have the Amiga 520, which is the little um, composite video adapter uh, that plugs in. Uh, and I have some discs. So if you're interested, and I think it was like 50 bucks maybe a hundred bucks, whatever it was, it was a really good deal, you know? Uh, and he, and he said, well, when I come to the city, we'll meet up. So, so we met up and, uh, he pulls his computer out of the trunk and he pulls, uh, you know, this little box of joysticks and, and cables. And then he pulls out this disc box that's holding like, you know, a hundred discs. And I'm like, wow. And he goes, well, hang on. I got more in, in the back seat. And then he pulls out, you know, 200 discs and 300 discs and 400 discs. And they're in the passenger seat. They're in the whole back <laughs> of the car. It's just, I probably got at least 500 floppies uh, in this deal, which I was super excited about. And then later when I figured out enough how to, you know, actually operate the computer, uh, they were all archive discs and they were all public domain stuff from some local computer group. So there, there was like not a single good game. Oh. On any of them, you know, it was like so and so's tax calculator, <laughs> like, like all this crappy stuff, you know, little basic uh, things that would, you know, guess the number too high, too low, you know, stupid yeah. stuff like that. Uh, so there, there really wasn't any uh, a good software with it, but, um, uh, but yeah, that was the first one. And that, like I said, that was probably two thousand three, two thousand four. Mm-hmm. Um, now since then. Uh, before the prices shot through the roof, uh, I bought an Amiga 1200, uh, which I still have, uh, uh, hooked up in here, but I don't, I don't use it that much. I'll tell you why in a minute. And then I bought a Amiga CD 32, um, which, you know, is basically the consoleized version of, uh, 
I guess of the 500, you know, and there's a lot of games. I mean, they, they make the same games. They just put it on CD or whatever, and it plays on the CD 32. They port stuff uh, back and forth, but it, it seemed easier at the time than downloading these games from the internet and trying to figure out how to transfer them over and do all these crazy things. So, so I got that CD 32 and played with that for a while. But, um, um, now I went, uh, you were talking about thrift stores, I went to this thrift store, and this was, gosh, I don't know, within a year of that, like 2005, maybe something like that. Uh, and and I was poking around in the monitors. You know, I'd always go back and look like at the TVs and the monitors. And there's this monitor back there that says Commodore on it, which of course jumped out at me. You know, being a, a lifelong Commodore fan, and I see this monitor, and I'm like, and I start thinking like it's with all the other PC monitors. You know, so I'm I'm. I'm just thinking in my head like, oh, that's when Commodore started making PC stuff, you know, and so that that's it's just a an IBM monitor with a PC brand on it. So I just I just left it, you know, mm-hmm. and I get home and, uh, and I was talking to a buddy of mine and I was like, yeah, hey, I saw the weirdest thing, you know, and then he said, you know, it was probably an Amiga monitor. And I'm like, oh, it didn't even dawn right, on me. Right. You know, I didn't even put two and two together. And I went the next day, like during lunch, I went the next day, and it was gone. Oh, man. And, and I was, like, almost hysterical. You know, like <laughs> like the guy comes out from the back, like that guy that works there and could not give two craps about you. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Yep, At the yep. Thrift store. And I'm like, it was right here. He's like, yeah, well, it's not now. So <laughs> must be gone. I'm like, well, you go look in the back. He's like, why would somebody take a monitor and put it in the back? I was like, I don't know. You know, like, I'm looking in the women's clothing area, like oh, maybe somebody man. moved it, just anything. I've kicked myself for that, you know, just, I mean, I would buy, you know, Commodore made um, calculators and, and uh, adding machines and things like that, you know. I would buy one of those. Like, if I saw a Commodore calculator, I would buy that. I can't believe I didn't buy that stupid thing, you know, and and um, it, as you, um, I don't, I don't know if you guys have talked about this on the show or not, but um, Amiga used that weird, uh, was it fifteen uh, kilohertz? I always get it mixed up. Megahertz. Yeah, we haven't. I think it's kilohertz. Kilohertz. The refresh that you're talking about the refresh rate. Right. Yeah. yeah. So they don't play nice with modern monitors, which right. are looking for that thirty-one uh, uh, refresh rate. You know, so. If you don't have an Amiga monitor, they could kind of be like you. What do you have your Amiga hooked up to? Well, the dirty secret of this podcast is that I don't actually have an Amiga yet. Ah, okay. <laughs> but um, but Aaron has he has an Amiga and a, he he's got an Amiga monitor, but I don't know what uh what model number it is, but it is right. an Amiga monitor. Well, see, so and that's the thing. If you don't have an Amiga, and there are, if you go online, you can find these lists. Uh, there are, were um. NEC made a series of monitors that they call multi-sync monitors, mm-hmm. and there's a specific list of those that will work with the Amiga. But other than that, it's really hard to do. Now there are um, that the thing that I got from Brad is called uh, it's a 520. It plugs into uh, the user port in the back of the Amiga, and it does composite out, so you can run then composite because the composite out on the actual Amiga is not really composite out. It's only black and white. Mm. Uh, so so you can plug this you know thing, and it looks like an external modem, like an old external modem. You plug it into the back, and then you get composite out, which 
is okay for games, but not really for 80 column text. Right. You know, you can, it's pretty blurry and stuff. So now I just, just today saw um, a link to a guy. And what is this thing called? It's the AMIV, A-M-I-V 2.0, which plugs into that uh, same port on the back of an Amiga and has HDMI out. Wow. So that, if if that thing comes out and it's any sort of reasonable price at all, that's going to be a game changer for a lot of people. Yeah, that the monitor issue is just such a headache for anybody that's into retro consoles at all. Yeah, you know? because CRT TVs, you know, you may still have them, but they're not. You know, they're huge. They're hard to put somewhere that's not conspicuous. Uh, you know, if more if more consoles start coming up with solutions to getting you know an HDMI signal out or some sort of a you know digital signal out, it, it'll be it'll be huge. I I had um, on my retro little computer area. I had my Commodore sixty four, an Apple two, my Amiga twelve hundred, uh, something on maybe a, a console or two sitting there. And I had all these monitors lined up, you know, <laughs> and so you turn them on. And then, of course, then all of a sudden your, your game room's 80 degrees, right. <laughs> you got this stuff running. And then I thought, you know, this is silly. So I got rid of, well, I didn't, I don't get rid of anything, but I, I, I <laughs> moved those down to the garage and I went to go buy a flat screen monitor, mm -hmm. you know, and, uh, and unfortunately this isn't always the case, but when I got down, I went to Sam's. And they had, I was looking for like a 24 inch flat screen, you know, and they had them for like, I don't know, 149, something like that, you know. And then right next to that is the 27 inch for 159. I'm like, well, that's not a bad deal, you know. And then right here, you're like, oh, well, here's a 32 inch for 199. That's, you know. And so I come home with a 42 inch um, Samsung <laughs> flat screen. Just monster, yeah. Right. And so I didn't even think about it, but when I set it on my desk, I mean, I don't know if you've ever typed in 40 columns on a 40-inch monitor. That's <laughs> I have never done that. <laughs> right. But it's like it's almost like um, when people type and the caps lock is on. You know? mm -hmm. Just <laughs> screaming like at you from the right, screen, yeah. Right? You're like, load dollar <laughs> sign. I mean, it's just giant letters, you know. And so I didn't really think that one through. But, um, but what I lost in all that was my Amiga video. You know, because all of a sudden I couldn't I couldn't hook up to this thing anymore, and mm -hmm. and um, and refresh rates being you know all a little different, and and uh, so if, yeah, if this thing really works, this HDMI deal or whatever, I'm gonna be super stoked about that. Awesome. Uh, do you have a favorite game for the Amiga? Uh, favorite game? Well, um, you know, my biggest uh, my favorite genre I would say is platform type games. You know, mm -hmm. now. Um, I recently, I'll tell you what I what I bought, uh, and it's it's probably been a year ago, but I bought a Mist. Uh, do you know what that is? The uh, I've heard you talk about it, but I feel like a lot of listeners may not be aware of it. So why don't you explain what it is? Yeah, well, it, it's a um, an FPGA computer, which basically what that means it's flashable. So. If you think of normal electronics, like, and by the way, I don't know how to do any of this. It's just what I've read. You know, I, I like to sound star, smart by uh, quoting, you know, Wikipedia or whatever. But um, so, so basically, like a normal computer would have a CPU that would have, you know, that's physically made, like a die and all that stuff, right? Um, well, a, a, a flashable one is just, just like what it sounds. You can take the code. Uh, from a processor or something and flash it, and then that machine becomes that computer. Now, okay. you, so you're going to lose some quality or, or some speed 
so you can't, you know, just flash this thing and have it be a, a Pentium four, you sure, know what I mean? Yeah. Uh, but, uh, you know, with the, the current technology and stuff, it can easily handle, uh, what they call them cores. So you get the core, which is basically the programming set that went into, you know, these eight bit computers or whatever. And you flash the device with that core and it becomes that device. Now, where, where it's different than emulation because emulation is uh, there, there's that interpretive uh, layer. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Yeah. So you're so still you, riding on top of the, the, your your um, contemporary operating system. Exactly, exactly. So the, the you know with a uh, like an Amiga emulator, it you're playing the game and the emulator is figuring out you know what the graphics you know how to process that and then it has to convert that to windows or mac or whatever you're running the emulator on and then display it to your monitor yeah well the these fpga computers cut out that middleman there there is no overlying uh, operating system or anything when you flash the those instruction sets on there it becomes that computer um now the mist is this little ugly looking black box like a project box that you would buy at Radio Shack or something it's not flashy looking at all um, there's some USB ports on the back uh, so you can uh, you know hook up a keyboard to mouse and on the side there's two DB9 joystick ports so you can hook up uh, regular joysticks mm-hmm. and then on the front there's an SD card slot so uh, you put whatever core you want to flash this machine as uh, put it in there and if it's not I mean, if if the core that's on there is different than what your machine is, it will reflash it. But if it's the same, it just ignores it. Um, but MIST, that stands for Amiga and Atari ST, the M-I in MIST. Oh, interesting. I was wondering about that. Yeah, and ST is Atari ST. So those were the first two cores uh, that they came up with. If you've heard of the um, uh, the Minimig or you know the little mini uh, Amiga that they came out with, this is basically the same core that's used in that. So it is a completely functional Amiga computer. Now you're still using a a PC USB keyboard and a, and a regular USB mouse plugged into this device. But as far as it's concerned, it thinks it's an Amiga. The advantage to this thing is you can load and mount ADF disc images right off of the SD card. So, you know, any of the, the disc images that you would find online of Amiga games, uh, you know, things like that. You just throw them on the SD card and it works just like a, um, you know, if you have a flash cart for whatever, whatever retro system you have, it yes. basically, yeah. Yep, exactly. And, um, uh, so, and I would say it's 95% compatible. There are always, uh, you know, the, the programmers back there were so crafty with coming up with little hardware tricks and, and uh, hard, you know, video modes that may not have been documented. Uh, and so, you know, if you find a game that does that, well, if it wasn't documented, it's probably not in the core set either. Uh, and, and so, you know, there, there have been a few things I've found that, that uh, don't run, but for the most part. So I've been doing most of my Amiga uh, playing on that until now, if this, like I said, that HDMI thing comes out, then I'll probably, you know, hook my 1200 back up and, yeah. and go back to that because I'd rather do it. I always think it's better on the real system, oh, you know, yeah. if you could do it. But, uh, you know, on the Commodore 64, we have the uh, 1541 Ultimate, mm-hmm. which is that little, you know, the uh, SD card, basically reader. Uh, on my Apple II, I have a, a same thing that reads discs from a USB stick. So uh, it, it's just those old floppies are getting so 
unreliable, mm-hmm. you know, that if I could come up with something where I could, uh, you know, play the USB, you know, uh, images off of a USB stick and, and on a real TV, I'd, I'd love to do that. That is a really long answer that did not answer what <laughs> games I'm playing right now. Um, but uh, I am a fan of 16-bit platform games. I think platform games are my favorite style of game, um, which is why I'm not so much into modern gaming anymore. You know, I, I mean, I, uh, I I thought I, I'll probably get shot for this from certain people, but uh, I thought like Mario 64 when it came out was a neat trick. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and I thought Doom was an okay game. I did not realize we would be playing Doom for 25 more yeah, years. I don't think anybody did. <laughs> you know, <laughs> and people are like, well, you know, this is Quake, right? which, you know, it had some advancements, but, you know, this is whatever. You're still uh, iterating on the same theme. Right. This is Shooter 2000. And I go, well, I've seen this. They go, no, 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 no. And this one, you can crawl. <laughs> Okay, well, that's the same game to me. You know, that's <laughs> right, not, right. That's not a revolutionary step forward. You know, on this one, you could change. You know, left-handed or right-handed. Okay, I'm, I'm, I'm over it. You know, so I, I like you know seeing those type of games, but they, they pretty much killed my favorite genre. <laughs> you know, that you don't see those basic platform games. I love. I just uh, found uh, Zool. I had played Zool, I think, on the PC as a kid, which is a a platform game, and you're this cute little green uh, ninja-looking guy. Um, I just uh, started playing Super Frog Mm -hmm. again, which is another platform game. And uh, Shadow of the Beast, I don't think I ever played before. Oh, really? That's surprising. Yeah, I just found that. So, yeah, I just kind of been going through and, and seeing some of those platform games. And there's another one I just found... Um, pushover. Have you ever heard of that? No. It's a um. It, it, it's I guess I would say it's in almost. It doesn't look like it, but it's in those the puzzle solving kind of genre, you know. And so basically, you're a little guy, and you you set up a line of dominoes, and you have to push them over, you know. And then so kind of like Lemmings or any of those games where then on the next level, okay, now there's something you have to do, mm-hmm. and. You know, there will be a gap where the dominoes won't hit the next one. So you got to go get a domino and then move it into into the spot. And then later on, you know, there's like little elevators and, and slopes and all these different things you have to figure out, you know, how to circumvent or whatever. But um, that's um, what I like about these old systems. You know, everybody knows, you know, The Last Ninja. Everybody knows uh, Outrun. You know what I mean? Like there are those games that... Uh, you know, Marvel Madness, we mentioned that that everybody knows that they associate with the system. But, um, you know, the the I don't I don't know how big the Amiga game library is. I know um, for the Commodore 64, the estimates right now are around 20,000 titles. Mm, unbelievable. So that's a lot of backlog to yeah. go. Through. <laughs> you know, <laughs> like when people say like. Oh, you know, have you played, you know, this or that? I'm like, I got a lot of old stuff to go through. <laughs> like, I'm not done with all the old stuff, you know. So that's that's the cool thing for me is having, you know, since I didn't have an Amiga when I was a kid, but but just being so in love with it, uh, I just find that there's so many games out there that, uh, and, you know, each one is not uh, a 10 out of 10. Sure, yeah. <laughs> you know. You're going to have bad games no matter what system you're playing. Right, and and so I, I'll you know I try one and 
I try to give it, you know, an honest take. That that's another thing. I'm sure you've run into this as well. Uh, I I remember as a kid, like my buddy, I would go over to his house. He had an Atari 2600, and he only had like four games. And I don't know where they they must have got their games to like the basement bargain. <laughs> like he had some crappy games, mm-hmm. you know, like. Like, I don't even know if he had combat. Like, <laughs> like I remember we went over and, and he had two or three games in the, and we ended up playing um, Hide, oh, Sneak and Peek. Sneak is that and the, Peek, yeah. Terrible. Yeah, which is, which is a, a hide and seek game. You know, I, I've always had this thing, never play a video game that you can do in real life. Right. <laughs> you know, that's why I don't like bowling video games because I can really, I mean, I'm not good at bowling, but I can do it. Yeah, yeah, I know what you mean. <laughs> you know, so... Um, uh, so anyway, you know, if he only had these two or three games, but you would still play them. Now, if you went to someone else's house and they had ten great games and sneak and peek, you're not going to play hide and seek on the Atari. You know, it's the worst of all those games right. or whatever. So the the problem when you get to like where we are now with emulation and computers and stuff is, uh, I, I just got a, a Harmony cart not too long ago, which is a, a Atari twenty six hundred cartridge that lets you put an SD card in mm-hmm. and play games off of that, right? So I thought, well, I'll go download, you know, some Atari games, and I Google that, and the first thing I find is a zip file that says, every Atari 2600 game ever made. <laughs> it's like 20 meg, you know? I yeah. go, okay. I click on it, and cable modem is done in like three seconds, you know? Right. And I, I zip it on the card. Well, guess what? I'm not playing Sneak and Peek. I'm not playing all those bad games because – when you get all of them, you know, you, you kind of, the good ones bubble up. You're to going to gravitate top. towards the good ones all the time. Right, yeah. right. And so, Especially because, so, you know, when you're, you, when you're, when you're, when you're all grown up, you have limited gaming time anyway, so you're going to only want to play the games that are the best. Right, and, and unfortunately, like with the Commodore 64, I find I tend to play the ones that I had when I was a kid. Mm-hmm, the nostalgia factor is. Right, right. I'm like, oh, I remember this game and I'll play it, and then. Uh, I, I, it dawned on me one day, like, it can't be true that every game I played as a kid was good and every one I didn't play was terrible. <laughs> yeah, you know? yeah. <laughs> you know, and so I really wasn't giving them a fair shake. So that that's what I like about the Amiga. Like I said, I'm, I'm kind of viewing this now with, with new eyes, and so I'll try one, and even if it's kind of frustrating or, or doesn't look as good as something out, I really will try to spend the time to figure out how to play it and, you know, before I move on to that. That's not saying I spend, you know, a month on each one, but I, I try to give it, you know, a fair... Uh, I, I just a lot of those games. I think people are you know you get frustrated, and then like I said, you just move on to the next one because you have so many to get through. Right, right. Well, we are going to go ahead and wrap this thing up. Um, is there anything you'd like to plug before we go? Oh, just Commodores in general. Commodores are awesome. Amigas are awesome. Uh, <laughs> uh, if you want to find my other uh, podcasts, you can find them at uh, robohara dot com forward slash podcasts. Uh, that has all all my current shows and um, the amigos and my shows and lots of other good uh, retro gaming shows and computer shows are all on throwbacknetwork.net. So you can go there and and scroll through the side and and see all the shows. We're I think we're at thirty shows now, thirty different podcasts that are on the network, and um, I, I subscribe to every one of them. <laughs> uh, I, you know, some of them I'll, I'll skip through or something if it's not a, an episode that hits me. But but I do download every one of them and listen through. There's uh, lots of good shows on there. Thanks again, Rob. If you'd like to be interviewed for the Amigos podcast, we'd love to hear from you. Send us a message at amigos at amigospodcast.com. 
especially if you live in a country outside of the United States. Between me, Aaron, and Rob, we kind of have the USA perspective. I wouldn't say fully down pat, but we'd love to get a more international perspective on the Amiga scene. So if you live in another country and you'd like us to interview you, once again, our email address is amigos at amigospodcast.com or you can just leave us a note on the blog or the Facebook page. Thanks.